Welcome to this Outside Life podcast with Lori Kaler. I'm your host, Lori, and we are here to explore and discuss the lives of outsiders. Ever notice how you feel better, more calm and peaceful when you step outside, go for a walk, or witness a beautiful view? We all do. This Outside Life is dedicated to curing nature blindness and discovering the beauty and wonders of the world outside our doors. Whether you're a bird watcher or a mountain climber, there's something here for you. Here we will meet and explore the lives of people who work or play in the great outdoors. Come along and step outside into mystery, discovery, and wonder. For thousands of us, these sounds are very familiar on a weekend morning. They are the sounds of our local farmers markets. We visit them because we want to support our local farmers and growers, get beautiful healthy produce, flowers for our table, and bump into neighbors. It's good for our health and good for our community. But what does it take to start one? Or what if you want to join one? Can you just grab some apples from your tree and haul them to your local market? Erin Tormey joins us today from the Coastside Farmers Market in Half Moon Bay, California. I met with her on her mountaintop view surrounded by chickens, gardens, and enthusiastic dogs. You may hear them barking and sometimes howling in the background. Erin talks about how she got together with a group of friends, growers, farmers, and local chefs to put together a thriving farmer's market. She discusses why your local grocery store produce is all the same size and variety. And we find out just how fresh is that produce in your local market. How long does it take from field to store? I found this part fascinating. If you want to find out more about the food you eat or start a farmer's market in your area, stay tuned. We also have information on the website, www.thisoutsidelife.com slash farmers market on government agencies to contact and helpful associations you can join, plus some delicious recipes to use that fresh produce you just bought on the weekend. So I know you mainly from the farmer's market, and I got the impression that you started this whole farmer's market on the coast side. And what was your impetus? How did this all get started? Because there'll be people listening that think, well, I live in rural Iowa or Kansas or Missouri, and I would like to, you know, sell my wares at a farmer's market. How do I start this up? What advice do you have? Oh, boy. Um, My advice now um, for anybody who's got that idea would be to reach out to... Um, like the National Farmers Market Coalition, which didn't exist when I started. I'm a founding member of the California Farmers Market Alliance, which also didn't exist when I first started. There's really no 
um, uniformity in terms of there's not like an industry group or some manual that's available out there anywhere where you can just go pick it up and go okay this is what I need to do so well, you must have just been sort of stumbling around like okay I want to bring people together but then there are all these um, health and safety laws and rules and stuff yes, right there are. <laughs> we are. Um, we're responsible to I don't know I've lost count of how many agencies and whatnot. I suppose if I counted them like right in my head right now, I'm coming up with seven. We're responsible to at least that many agencies every single day. It's like you're throwing a party for a couple thousand people twice a week and with 40 some odd different vendors in each of the different communities where our markets are. There's different ordinances. So you have your local ordinances, your regional things, and then you have your state and then your federal realities. You have your fire department, you have a police department in certain places. How did you wade through all this stuff? I mean, I'm the type that like when I have to deal with, you know, administrative soul-sucking sort of thing. I just think, oh, yeah, it's too much. Forget mm. it. So how did you wade through all this? Well, happily for me, um, I have said this more than once, I was blissfully unaware and very self-serving when I first started. What do you mean? Because you wanted to sell your eggs? Well, no. At the time, I had I only had 20 hens back then. But I, I think I, this whole area that you can see out the window, this whole flat area, this five acres, was lined up with um, all these different alliums. I had these onions and garlics and shallots and all sorts of strange things going on out there. It started just a small, I think I told you when I first got here, there was not a single cultivated plant. There was weeds to the walls, but I've always wanted and needed to have a garden. So I started with these shallots that my great grand uncle Amadeo Gatto brought with him from Italy and just started growing them and then I had too many and then I was taking them to Pasta Moon to the restaurant there to sell and then the owners divorced he started a new restaurant at what used to be the producers exchange building he and I got to talking and it is I owe a lot to Paul Shankman and his wife Julie um, who said we we would support you in doing this well here's the property Oh, so they let you do the first one in their parking yeah, lot. Yeah. yeah. So we did the first one in their parking lot in 2002, I think. And there were like six of us. <laughs> so you just called around to friends that grew things well, and said, hey, let's get together on a Saturday and sell this? Sort of. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite that quite that lackadaisical but um something i hadn't expected when i started the farmers market was how much of a public figure public figureness was going to come with that yeah and i also had no idea how much people were going to really value the value of the market as an as a community asset and as a sort of a, a life essential yeah. <laughs> are they howling that's hansi he's howling <laughs> so what are the i mean if somebody wants to start this oh, they've got all these government agencies they have to deal with and then you contact you invite different farmers like and you want a variety like somebody who does fruit or yeah. somebody who does vegetables or some you know how did you how did you pick people well back in when i first started I, we decided it was just going to be for the local community you know making making an opportunity for local farmers to be able to sell directly to the to their neighbors, to the people who lived in the community where we were. Mm -hmm. That worked for about the first couple of years, but then people wanted peaches and they wanted things like that. And what we found was at the time, you know, we had, there were a couple of farmers markets that were relatively close at hand. And some, just a few of our farmers did participate in other farmers markets over the hill. Part of the reason I didn't was because I didn't grow, I didn't have enough of a variety. And nobody thought onions and garlic were that interesting. Um, <laughs> um, 
everybody has a network, right? And mm. and if you, you know, if, if just all it took was one person to be, and a lot of times people in the agricultural world are related. Yeah. <laughs> somebody knows somebody who moved off their farm here and moved up to Turlock and started growing peaches, and he knew Al, and he had peaches, so down comes Frog Hollow for a while, and then he did, did something after, you know, it's it sort of grew, but it started with this very clear I'd vision at the time, which we've done our best to maintain. And what's that? Which is that we want to make it possible for the farmers in our community to be a part of our community. But So how do you pick between, because I've noticed you've got some people who are making hummus or shortbread uh-huh. cookies, and then some people doing um, essential oils. In our market, everybody's market's different, right? Yeah. And one of the things about our market and our space is that we are very physically limited to X number of, there. we could only have this many booths at one time, which personally I'm really happy about. I think that's one of the, the big problems with farmer's markets is that they just get big to be big, mm. and that doesn't necessarily translate into a better day for the farmer. What it translates into is you've got a foodie Disneyland out there where people will bring their kids and sample up all over the place and get face painted and do whatever and um, it doesn't mean that they're spending any more on their groceries and it doesn't necessarily mean that's any better for a farmer for the day so what we what we've always tried to do is to keep the market in scale with the community keep that idea in mind that if it's grown here by somebody who wants to participate in the market then they're in (laughs) <laughs> if if it's not grown here, um, then I I am very picky. So I spent the first couple of years really getting clear and doing a lot of shopping, really. And so you go visit out. these places? Yeah, I go out to the go out to the farms and figure out what was going on. I joined. I very early started going to things like small farm conferences and things like that just to meet other people and see what was going on. I had heard about Roots of Change really early and went to a just to gather up, um, went to another gather up down in Santa Cruz, this group called Craft, and started kind of poking around. But it, it's we've always tried really hard to keep our focus on food and farming. Mm-hmm. There are some communities where having a really robust craft section, you just need that. Um, because it, somebody's got to pay the bills. These are not inexpensive things to operate. But in California particularly, there is some very sturdy legislation in place. And in the abstract of that legislation, there is very clear language that the farmer's markets are, you, well, one, you have to either be a certified producer, which I am, a, um, a municipality or a nonprofit that's based in, in food and food. What do you have to work. do to be a certified producer? Like you how much? Be- is it two dozen or is it? hundred dozen. <laughs> it's uh, the, the, the process of being certified. You have to call your, uh, your Department of Agriculture. They send a biologist out to your property. They take a full inventory of everything you grow, um, including like what your potential yield is or your projected yield, excuse me, um, the variety that you're growing, uh, the seasonality, the, when you would expect to have it at the market. All that kind of business. It's this huge process that everybody has to go through. Um, you can, it is set up so that, uh, like, if you had one really prolific apple tree, you could have them come out, certify your apple tree, and take those apples to the market. But they need to be able to track and trace where this food is coming from and how it's being moved around. You can't just, like, go out to an apple tree in your backyard and pick a bunch of apples and take it to a farmer's market in California. The- so, are the, I bet you California is a lot more stringent than, like, Iowa, Missouri, or I wouldn't Kansas. call it stringent. I would say, but I will say that California is is the only state 
that has specific legislation and language and um, practices and protocols around farmers markets. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So other states, you just can pick the apples in your tree and show up and say, hey? You know, I don't know that that's true for every state, but in a lot of them it is. Um, in California, certified farmers markets, you will not be finding produce from Arizona. You won't be finding produce from Oregon. You won't be finding it from Washington. You sure as won't be finding it from Mexico or Bolivia or anywhere else. It all comes from California, and that's part of the certification process. Cool. And it's because California, you know, we don't think of it maybe especially given where we live. When people think of California lately, the first thing that comes to mind is probably not how much agriculture is part of their economic backbone. It's thought of as being particularly here, the Silicon Valley or, mm-hmm. or finance or, you know, just the whole tech mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, California produces over 80% of the fresh fruits and vegetables that get eaten in this country. And up, there's, oh. yeah, up in the Delta, mm-hmm. the Northern part, there's just like incredible rice production in the state of California and agriculture is- Yeah, I remember serious- those California dairy um, ads uh, aimed against Wisconsin because I'm from Wisconsin, which is always mm-hmm. America's dairy land. And when I mm-hmm. found out California actually did more, I was like, oh. <laughs> well, it's true. I think a lot of, well, the other thing too is that California is three times the size of Wisconsin. So there's that, but there's, there, there's, it's a reality mm-hmm. and it's a huge part of California's economic engine. And um, so, yeah, if you're in California and you're at a farmer's market in California and you've got food from somewhere else, you are, you're going to be in trouble and it is big, fat, hairy deal. So mm-hmm. all of us who, in, in California, it's, speci- it's very specific what is and what isn't okay. allowed. It's up to the farmer's market operator to make determinations as to how many, you know, if you're going to have an artisan section or if you're going to have you know, prepared food like bakers and, you know, you yeah. mentioned the hummus guy and that kind of thing. And with all of that, we try um, to, if there's somebody within San Mateo County that's making that product and applies for the market, they pretty much always get priority. So, Are you the, the main point where, like, if somebody wants to bring their goods to the farmer's market, does it have to go through you or is there a board of people or how does that work? Most of the time it goes through me. Okay. There are, um, have an advisory board, a mm-hmm. uh, group of people in the community. Um, I try to keep farmers and food makers off that board. Um, oh, really? Why? Bias? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she said without hesitation. Yeah, no. If I'm going to be having, if I'm going to d- find myself having trouble with a farmer maybe bringing stuff that they didn't produce or starting to, you know, just do any of the goofy stuff that you're just like, oh, please. Um <laughs> And particularly, like if you're if you have a space that becomes available, and you want to jury someone in, which is what we do. You know, it's like we go and let's just say there's a, a fruit grower years ago, Santiago, who used to come and sing all the time, and he retired, and then we needed to find another fruit growing kind of a person. So we sent people on the board. It's like just everybody just go to a farmers market and you know see if there's someone out there that you find that's engaging and interesting and grows beautiful stuff and come on back and let's talk about that and who did you meet and what did you do and I find that lots of boards on farmers market things have like a farmer because they're going to re- represent the farmer's perspective and they have a food producer because they're going to represent that perspective for us that's just not been helpful huh. what it usually means is that they're representing their own self-interest in a way that doesn't necessarily always look at the bigger picture not all the time you know, not all the time, but there's been, you know, one or two little kind of things where I thought, hmm, nope. So has the farmer's market really affected the lives of the local farmers? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's not so much what I think, it's what I know. Yeah. We're, we're one of the pilot partners in a program called Market Match, which just last month, Governor Brown signed a bill that has a $10 million line item to make Market Match, which used to be, Happen Bay used to be one of its original 12 only markets in the state of California, which was that if you, you know, people wanted to get more fresh fruits and vegetables on their table, but they had limited income. And, if, and particularly if they were participating in SNAP, which is a supplemental nutrition assistance program, they'd come to a market, spend their benefits with us, and we would match them dollar for dollar, up to $10 every visit, so that their $10 in federal benefits turned into $20 that they could spend on fresh fruits and vegetables at the farmer's That's market. awesome. So it is awesome. It's pretty great. So it started off with just a couple hundred thousand dollars, small group of partners, 20-some-odd markets in the state of California. Then that grant was through the... You, the CDFA, uh, California Department of Food and Agriculture's Specialty Crop Block Grant Program, we reapplied for a second chunk of change and were declined. So it was like, well, that's dumb. So we scrambled around and found a grant through the feds um, and were able to double that amount of money and then get a... Uh, it also created a situation where we all had to come in with matching funds, which meant going out into the community and pestering people and telling them what I just told you and, mm. and saying, would you help me do that? I am extremely lucky because I am good at asking for things unless <laughs> it's for myself. Um, so we were able to, even though a relatively small market, we were able to get the local support that we needed to remain yeah. one of these things so anyway it's since gone from like i said this this very small 20 markets two hundred thousand dollars over a two-year period to like i said we just we just had a major major victory um, we now have over 40 implementing partners in the state it, there are about three thousand markets farmers markets in the state of california and almost 40 about 30 percent of them sorry i was gonna say 40 but 30 about a third of the markets now are able to supply this program. The, the That's that fantastic now, because most people say, oh, I'm not going to do a farmer's market. The food's too expensive or whatever. But there's no excuse now. that the Well, it's one of the, the thing about it being a spendy is, is really unfortunate because it's not true. But it's one of those things that's in people's heads because the reality of it is that there are definitely things at the farmer's market that are very much high-end foodie Disneyland amazing things like mm-hmm. Who needs ramps? No one, but they are delicious and they're expensive. Ramps, um, ramps are a, kind of a weird little oniony thing. Okay. Um, you know, not very many people really need to have fiddlehead fern soup, but you know, more or morels or chanterelles or or forage whatnots. You know, there's absolute truth to the fact that there are very high end, beautiful products that, like thing you know, you're asking about the ramps or the fiddleheads or whatever. They don't ship. Yeah. So you can't just go to the grocery store and get those. There are certain kinds of these beautiful pears or altar fruits or that kind of thing that you, they just don't make it in the mail. Um, you can't ship them in bulk, and you can't standardize them. And that's something that where farmer's markets really come into play is for those very specialized, beautiful, unusual products. It's absolutely true that they're there. But then there's also things like those strawberries uh. that are indescribably delicious and when they are the right variety being grown in this space in season at the time they are way less than they are in the grocery store and they're 
exponentially better, better tasting. And that taste, like I think that's the thing that people miss is that that's where that taste is where the goods are. Mm -hmm. It's there because in that flavor are countless micronutrients and amino acids and and amazing numbers of oddball vitamins and minerals and whatnot that's coming out of really healthy soil Mm -hmm. that's getting in your system and they just make you feel good not just because they taste good but because they're really good for you and it's not a a a thing that most people get to compare yeah we had a cucumber the other day from farmer's market and i was like holy cow i mean i don't feel like cucumbers have all that much taste but I was cutting up a, a regular one got from the store and then the one we got at the farmer's market I was like oh my goodness this thing is amazing yeah and it's 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 really the thing that it's and this isn't just me spouting off I mean the science is all there mm. right you get a bunch of broccoli that's been you know grown in a giant field where there's just nothing but broccoli growing and you have synthetic fertilizers you have fertilizers that are designed and soil amendments that are designed just to have that broccoli take up a whole bunch of water. So it will be bigger. It looks like you're getting more. It looks like you're getting more, but you're not. Mm. You're getting a lot of water and water is really heavy. Mm. And so if you're buying that broccoli or that cauliflower by the pound and all it is is water, there's not a lot of nutrition in there and there's not a lot of value Mm. to that item. And it's not to say that that's not good for you. I mean, it is one of those little balances. I always have to rein myself in when I'm talking about this because you don't want to punish people for going to the grocery store (laughs) because you can't always. Yeah. You know, farmer's markets are not convenient for most people. Mm. Um, You know, trying to figure out, work your life around this four-hour window that happens in your community once a week. Like, all right, well, if you can't make it, you can't make it. So I don't want to knock anybody for buying produce wherever they can get it because there's lots of communities where you can't get it at all but if you're buying something in season close to where it's grown it's going to cost you a whole heck of a lot less mm-hmm. than 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 what's available elsewhere the so, bunches are bigger the, the yeah. whole the whole thing. so when i look at and i don't know if you know the answer to this question but when i go to the grocery store even the organic one and i see broccoli sitting there well i'm always wondering how long how long has it been from the field to the store? Mm-hmm. Would you happen to know that timeline? Well, a short answer is every situation is different. But generally speaking, it gets put out around the fourth or fifth day after it's been caught. Broccoli specifically. can can Most of the varieties that you find in stores have been selected to have those really thick stalks with a yeah. heavy, heavy skin mm-hmm. that holds moisture for a long time. So when you cut that, that broccoli stock, you know, they're, they're, they're bigger around than, yeah, than like most people can reach around. They have a, a substance in them, all brassicas do, where it almost seals the end mm-hmm. of the stem. Mm-hmm. So most commercial broccoli will hold for a very long time. So most of the time it's not going out into, you know, it'll get cut in a field, it'll get moved to a, to wherever that packing house is. There for produce that's going, that's going to end up in your grocery store, there are standards that are applied for you. They have to be the exact size. They have to be the oh, exact. Oh, you're kidding. Size? I mean, it's food. How can you? Oh, oh wow. my. Well, there's, some, <laughs> there's a big education for a lot of people. Standard pack is a huge thing. And it so is you can't have one that, too small and you can't have one too no, big? No. Oh. Your box of romaine lettuce that comes this big is, a sta- is called a standard pack. 
and it has to have exactly 24 heads. It's determined like how big they need to be and how like tall. 12 inches by 12 inches yeah, or whatever. There's that, no uh, variables going on there. Um, so it producers over time have selected seed stock and work with certain companies so that they know they plant that romaine and they are going to get on the same day. Every single head is going to be this size. It's going to, there are 24 of them are going to fit in this box. No questions asked. They're all going to have, you know, the same kind of core mm. width back and forth. It's sort of like Dungeness crab. You know, you can't pull them out of the ocean unless, you know, you can't get They're on this so ride big. unless yeah. you're this tall. Yeah. So those ones, they have to have a specific thickness of the core mm-hmm. when you cut it. They have to fit in the box in a certain kind of way. That's true for every vegetable and fruit out there. That's why the, the farmers over time have been sort of funneled into this process that most of us that are kind of on the farmer's market edges of things just can't deal with because Mm. you don't get to take every apple off your tree and take it to the grocery store. Mm. But you can take every apple off your tree regardless of what size it is Mm. and put them all in a basket and off you go. But an apple that's going to a market has to be, they all have to be the exact same size. They have to be within very, there's very uh, defined uh, regulations about how much variable there can be in the weight of that of each individual apple wow. or each individual orange or each individual level lemons which is why you see that kind of uniformity in a grocery store that you don't see at a farmer's market and it's why you only see one variety of broccoli at a grocery store one variety of a cucumber because not every plant or animal can tolerate that kind of yeah restrictions well it's it's the the reality of is that the standards were set to to allow for things to be transported and stored Mm -hmm. doesn't have anything to do with human health and zero to do with flavor hence the tomato issue (laughs) right so you can't really ship an heirloom tomato it will fall apart in the box and just mm-hmm. be a blobby mush. It looks like mm-hmm. somebody had a kidney transplant on the way. You know, it's just like <laughs> nasty. But but you can ship these ones that have been raised to get this high and have five ribs so they're almost square on the side. Mm-hmm. Those ones get shipped green and then they get put into a storage facility and then they get they gas them um, and with ethylene which is a naturally occurring gas that would occur you on the ground. You put them on, with but, apples, they get that naturally. Yeah, yeah, but they just like store, extract it, store it, blast the whole con- shipping container with ethylene once they've got them in there. So by the time it leaves the farm green in Arizona and gets to Wisconsin, they'd had four or five days in there to redden up, uh. but only from the outside, which is why, like you see those tomatoes sliced up that look all just pale on the inside nice red skin on the outside and that's something that has on the one hand created this opportunity to have tomatoes year-round anytime you want them but you're not going to get a tomato like that at a farmer's market you're going to get one that tastes like something so you don't need to have five tomatoes and have three rot on your counter to get one good one um, I had no idea about all that with the, the having to be a certain size to fit into a pack so that they could ship it to oh, yeah. the... That's 90% of what your agricultural commissioners do all throughout the country, right? It's one of the few. It's it's required in both the Bible and the Constitution that you have to have somebody who's going to make sure that you know that if you buy a pound of something, it's going to weigh a pound. If you buy something yeah, by the unit, yeah. that that unit is going to be uniform. That you... <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, wow. we have to, like, all of us at the markets, like, next time you go to the farmer's market, check this out. You'll look at everybody's scale, and you're going to look for a little seal, 
yeah, the, the sticker that the says sticker this has been checked out. It's been checked out so that you get it, you know, you're paying for a pound, you get a pound. And You know, I think all this uniformity at the grocery store is what's causing the picky eaters because you get a child who's like, oh, but this has a blemish, this has a mark. It's like, honey, it's food. It's not Legos. You know, I used to say mm-hmm. this to my son all the time. They are not machine extruded. Mm-hmm. This is what nature produces and it's yeah. normal. But when you're always buying uniform vegetables and fruits at the grocery store, People expect, well, this is the way it's supposed to look. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I mean, I think it's it's human nature anyway. If you are enjoying these nature-focused podcasts, would you please do me a favor? Take a screenshot of this podcast you are listening to right now and post it on your favorite hangout. Maybe that's Instagram. Maybe it's Facebook. This way, others can take a break from all the bad news that's out there and learn fascinating, cool things about this gorgeous world around us. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. It really, really makes a difference. What's the biggest, what's your biggest joy about running a farmer's market? It's been one of the the, the luckiest happenstance things that ever happened to me. Um, I have to say that particularly given how whacked out the world is at the moment and what a kind of crazy, uncomfortable, outraged moment we're all living in, no matter how you look at it, to be twice a week, I'm immersed. I am in community Mm. with a whole lot of people who are just really happy to be there. There's a sort of a uniform positivity to the whole experience for people. And there's this lifting or a lightning or a, uh, there's just a kind of a joyfulness about it. You know, it's something pretty fundamental. It's when people make that choice that this is how they choose to spend some of their time during the week. Um, usually they're there with either a, a sweetheart or a, their kids or their spouse or their parents or their family or just friends or people in town um that whole business of people being you know in communion like doing something together um in this way that is uh is so it's become really important to a lot of people and there isn't a week that goes by where somebody doesn't come up to me half crying because they're just so happy to be there and they're um and especially they just, now in this it's we're so disconnected with our devices and we're so divided with all the crazy social media stuff it community is becoming more and more important i don't think people really understand that about the payback it, it gives yeah i think that you're right it is kind of wonderful that people aren't staring at their phones they're actually yeah. talking to each other and you know looking and see who's got what flowers from what vendor or yeah. what you know what's in your basket kind of thing but there's this very genuine kind of corny feeling of togetherness and and also you know we make it a point to make sure that you know we have the community events table that's always there so we figure out what's going on in town and you know if there's somebody good playing music somewhere or if there's a play going on or if there's a you know a prescription drug drop whatever you know that there's this place that I think all of us sort of hanker for a little bit that's been missing from most of our lives Mm -hmm. for all of our lifetimes, we haven't really lived in a place, particularly not in this part of the country, where there is a functional central park or town square or focal point where people gather up to figure out what's going on, like where do you get a babysitter or a hairdresser or whatever, you know, those kinds of things. You know, it's sort of become the 
the community bulletin board. And that's it, completely unexpected to me, but something that I really treasure because most of us do what we do in a sort of a siloed isolation. You just get up. It's not even Pardon light yet. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you get up at oh dark thirty, and you're just working. And most of the time, you're working on your own, by yourself, on your place, just trying to make sure that the at minimum, like you can get out the front door into your field without falling over you know, weeds yeah. <laughs> or the trash or the neighbor's dog or whatever. But it's an all day, every day thing. It's a sun up, sundown, and then some kind of a thing that can be really isolating. So something else that I think has been unanticipated, but I deeply value is the idea that it's not just the people who are customers who are coming out and having this time um, once a week to get with their neighbors and whatnot, but so are a whole bunch of my contemporaries and mm. and my teachers. You know, like <laughs> what is your biggest hassle? What is the thing you dislike the most about running a farmers market? You know, I think that one of the things that one of my practices around running the market is that I I always have to kind of check some of my own stuff at the door. You know, I have to always remind myself, like when I go on my little vegan rants, like I just did, um, <laughs> that that, that uh, you get asked the same question over and over and over again. I think the thing I dislike, you get asked the question 1,700 times in the course of a couple of weeks. And I always have to remind myself, it's not that person's 1,700 time asking the question. It's their first time asking it. I've just heard it that many times today. Ah. And so I, I, I need to kind of like bring myself to that person and that question in that moment. And I can't always do that. And that part always leaves me feeling a little flustered. Um, I think the thing that I, I find like I have to defend a lot is the conversation you had earlier about people's idea that the farmer's markets are too expensive. Uh. I, I feel like there is, uh, there's not a lot that I just totally love about, you know, closing off streets and dealing with trash. I would say that, you know, cleaning the restrooms when we're done has got to be my least favorite part of the whole thing. But I feel like it's part of that chop wood, carry water thing. Restrooms. Oh, so do. they have porta potties there? No, we got bathrooms. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, we luck out. Uh, we lucked out. But it's one of the requirements for the health department. If you're going to have a farmer's market, you need to have public restrooms within 100 yards of wherever it is that you are and if they are not available then you need to then you need to have porta potty so most farmers markets do have a, a porta potty or something so how does it work economically does everybody like everything that's sold they have to give governing body there a portion of their income or how does that work everybody runs their markets differently ours are a straight ahead flat stall fee i don't want to get involved in anybody's business I know it's not my it's not my business how much they earn in a mm -hmm. day we're required by cdfa which is the california department of food and agriculture to uh, collect a thing called a load sheet every week from every farmer that that is a pretty detailed thing that corresponds with that producer certificate I talked to you about before. So they have to uh, submit this thing every single market day that uh, declares what they brought and what they sold and how much, but not how much they earned. 
I find that for us, we, it is an expensive thing to do. You know, each, you know, there's not a permit out there that costs less than a thousand dollars a year. Insuring it is quite expensive. Again, you're taking people's health and safety into your hands when you do this. You're dealing in places where there's cars and trucks and automobiles running all over the joint. Um, so it's, it, they are expensive to insure. They're difficult to insure. Not oh, yeah. everybody You've got people to. with strollers and elderly and oh, yeah. all sorts Babies, of... bicycles, wheelchairs, you name it. Scooters. Mm. Little those little weird Segway stupid things. Um, <laughs> How do you feel about those? <laughs> I don't like them. Um, and uh, you know we've got the whole thing with dealing with people bringing dogs in and out. I mean there's just all that. I have zero tolerance for service dog fraud. I know way too many people who don't have legs or inner ears who have given up so much for this country that need those dogs to keep their balance mm. to not completely you know. I got no patience with people who try to tell me that they have an emotional support dog and they simply must be there. That does not cut it with me. So that's like, those are, there are certain kind of things that, that actually, if I was going to talk about my least favorite part of my job, it's when I have to deal with people who just refuse to get it, that a farmer's market is a grocery store and that it's just not okay to be bringing your dog into a grocery store. Yeah, It just isn't. Um, and uh, so that's the part I don't like. The so most. in the midst of all these friends and this wonderful community of coming together and helping farmers, and yet you have to deal with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. you do. But you know, it's it's everybody's. You know, people are people wherever you go, right? And and <laughs> wherever you are, there you are. And so yeah, those are there's everybody's fighting their own mighty battle about which you know nothing. So you just got to be kind. So what makes a um, if somebody was thinking about, oh, I think I want to start one of these in my community, what attributes do they need to have to succeed? You need to be really physically strong. You have to be fit because it is a lot to do to get those things up and running. You have to be willing and able and ready to help a farmer unload his truck. You have to be willing and able to get those tents up, to move stuff around, to, to get things uh, sorted out, because it doesn't just happen by itself. Most of the time, a lot of times, particularly the guys in our community's market who are coming from outside of the community, many of them are like up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, driving a truck from Fresno full of peaches. You know, they're getting there to get a market going by nine o'clock in the morning. We all arrive at six o'clock, no later. It takes wow. a long time to unload those trucks, to get the tents up, to get the cars out of the way, to get in. You know, we have to do inspections of every single stand for USDA, CDFA, for the health department, for our fire department, for everybody that we've signed on a line somewhere every that we will follow the rules every, every single stall. day. Every wow. single time. Because you never know when you're going to get an inspector showing up. And if you have... You know, the guys that with the Australian guys that have the meat pies down there, they have an oven that has generators that have all that stuff. There's very defined requirements for how far away a heat source needs to be and a combustion source needs to be from another one. Um, you know, because wind blows, right? Every one of those tents needs to be weighted down by at least 50 pounds of something. Do you have to have a tent flying. or could you just have a table there? No, you got to have a tent because the health department requires that that stuff be under some kind of cover because birds fly over and they poo on stuff. I mean, oh, there's. I didn't know that. Yeah, you I mean you get it? Like it's one of those things that like there's a lot of things that I think people don't know and you don't think about it until somebody says, "Oh yeah, well, oh right." But they have to have tables, right? They have to have scales. They have to have stuff. And fruit is heavy. Yeah. That box of tomatoes that's out on my front porch yeah. there. Okay, so it's only four inches deep. That weighs thirty-five pounds. 
Wow. Those yeah. Are little cherry tomatoes. They are. Oh. Took three and a half hours to pick two, and they're, <laughs> and they're really tasty. But it's like, it's heavy. So there's heavy work involved. Yeah. Um, you also have to be really good at navigating all these different agencies and dealing with and like and hearing like most people when mm-hmm. I said you have to have X number of space between this and a combustion source like wow what you know people think oh there's just rules for everything well yeah that's because catches on fire that's be- <laughs> you have to do certain things because wind blows and tents fly yes you have to have tents because stuff happens all the time yeah. occasionally it rains it's sometimes foggy. Sometimes it's really, really sunny and people pass out from heat stroke if they don't have some kind of cover. So yeah, you gotta have, you have to keep all that in mind and you have to be able to acknowledge that there are laws and rules out there because all kinds of people think it's do- just fine to, you know, just poop in the punch bowl and that's dandy. <laughs> you know, like there's not a law on the books that's not there because somebody somewhere along the line. Messed up. did something that everybody else would think all right well i would never do that but whatever second amendment (laughs) (laughs) you know but it's 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 you have to be really accepting and you have to be proactive you have to be a person who would go out and find out what that stuff is in each Mm -hmm. in your community Mm -hmm. because every community's got kind of funny things like there's certain communities it's perfectly fine to have a couple of chickens in your backyard and other communities where it's just plain not you know there's and there's all kinds of levels of this stuff so I I would say that a a person who is to be accepting and you have to be a person who's really inclusive you know you have to like get it that everyone's you know people are people wherever you go and everyone is really different and everyone's got something to bring to the party and it's not always you know what you it's not always the most beautifully wrapped gifts, you know, you know, <laughs> that's the one you want to look at. So the, the just really understanding that that we're all, you know, absolutely gorgeous, but deeply flawed. So and that's a unique combination. Yeah, it's a unique combination to get somebody that's able to deal with all those government agencies. Think about the practicality of like you, you need to keep the heat sources away. You need to have shelter. You need to move all the trucks, et cetera. And then to be good with people. That is a very hard combination because usually people are people, people. They're really yeah. great or you're real detail management. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, Get a good group of volunteers is what I say. Um, and, and the reality of it is that now it's nowhere near as mysterious or labyrinthine to mm. get there because there are resources and and um you know i'm really pleased to say that i was part of the group of people that put together with um, cdfa there's now a manual for farmers market managers that oh for california Mm -hmm. and it's not a requirement by any stretch of the imagination but like we started this little group about seven or eight years ago now called the California Alliance of Farmers Markets because there's all kinds of people trying to get things going on in their community and absolutely until just a few years ago everybody was flailing around in the dark the same way I was 17 years ago and that just is silly particularly if you're in a community where there hasn't been a market before and there isn't a tradition of that and in a lot of production communities there isn't you know the production communities just export all their stuff and or you know take it into a community like many 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 of our farmers come from communities where a farmer's market would simply not be viable Mm. and that's something else I think that there's a lot of people that think a farmer's market would be a really great idea but I would not talk to farmers first I would get with your community Oh, that's interesting. Don't ask the farmers, ask the community if they're interested. 
Yeah, because like the farmers can't just show up and be, you know, we're not going to just put on gingham and stand out there to be part of somebody's <laughs> like Easter parade. You know, we, we got a living to make. Yeah. And so we have really hard decisions to make about where we take our produce because you are talking, a, you know, there's, we could all make all the money in the world. You can always mm. make more money, but not even Bill Gates has figured out how to make more times. And it's like you, we, we get what we. There, there's only so much time in the day, and there is only so much resource, so many resources that most of us have. Right? I have one car. I have two tents, four tables, and some friends. So, but I can only be in one market a day. Mm. You know, some people can be in two or three, but that's mostly it there are some really big organizations that can maybe do 10 markets a day if when you make that decision you need to be making your nut if somebody thinks it would be fun to have a farmer's market in a community or to be bringing it to uh you know to help a area in a in a town that maybe is in a redevelopment process or you know you just want to get more business onto a street somewhere along the line you know you, you really have to get buy-in from that community so that when you ask those farmers to come in, there are people that are excited to have them there and want to buy their product. So how did you know this community would support it? I mean, who did you talk to to get that support? My very first customer was a chef. So I went to around to a bunch of the restaurants and all of the chefs and it's like, you know, if we did this, would you would you come? Would you like be open to arriving an hour early and maybe just like guaranteeing these guys if they come that you'd buy at least a case of something off of everybody or something along those lines. And they were That's all That's brilliant. That's a great idea. I thought so too. <laughs> Um, so from from the get go, we had uh, you know Tim coming up from Do Arts and Paul from Citrella and Kim from Pasta Moon and you know ultimately you know Betsy from It's Italia and then as as the coast side really kind of grew into this amazing destination of one off incredibly great restaurants like Sam's Charterhouse and and the Silver Star Cafe and Cafe Capistrano, and they just all arrive. And you see them every Saturday still, all these years later. Actually open until until 9 o'clock, but mm. we try to have the chefs, if they're going to come, can come early and reserve stuff ahead of time so that... Uh, well, that's why we yeah. get great food at the restaurants. Yeah. I mean, of course yeah. they should get and it. So it's, it's kind of one of those things that it, it really... At the beginning, it made things... We always knew that at minimum everyone who was there was gonna have some contact with with chefs okay. and then as as the community evolved you know and their rich showed up and we call their chef anytime a new restaurant opens up i'm pestering the chef and but then also the we we had an early commitment to to like the seniors in our community because so many of them and so many communities are having this struggle where the people who help build the place into what it is can barely afford to live here and so we started early like connecting with with our WIC offices and with the, the, the department, the senior. What's a WIC office? Uh, women, infants, and children. There's all of these, oh, there's yeah. lots of different nutrition programs that are out there and, and we're happy to say we were one of the early adopters of the farmer's market nutrition program for seniors and we have one of the highest rates of return in the state on that. I've gotten um, money from different individuals within the community who have helped me to so I can match those two because uh-huh. a lot of them are just one-time benefits like $20 for a year for a senior little $2 checks and we're able to get them another 10 and you can actually you know a couple of bucks a week can make a huge difference in whether or not somebody is getting enough vitamin C yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. and uh, making the market 
everybody's market mm-hmm. um, and being really proactive about ensuring that they knew they were like welcomed and valued and um, sought after as customers has been a huge part of why we got like for three years in a row we got voted the best farmers market in the bay area and we withdrew after i decided three years oh. that was enough yeah i never <laughs> realized how much you touch people's lives because it's not just the people shopping it's the farmers it's the restaurants you benefit it's the people with their snap benefits it's the elder i mean you've really touched so many people's lives by bringing this thing together yeah it's how does great. that make you feel totally great <laughs> Yeah, it's really great. I mean, I, there there are times in where I get makes me feel unbelievably blessed and fortunate. My mother used to tell me all the time I had a knack for serendipity, and I think she's right. I had no idea how hard it was going to be, and I had no idea how rewarding it was going to end up being. But I feel really, really lucky that it's not many people or that get that sense or that peace that peace or that contentment I guess that you know I got to do something that's that nobody thinks sucks right I mean (laughs) (laughs) which is unusual in this day and age you know I I, you know every now and again I have somebody kind of griping about a parking being an issue but I feel like you know if it takes you a while to find a parking place at the farmer's market buddy you are living the dream if that's the worst (laughs) thing that's happened like even if that's the worst thing I have to deal with is it occasionally I have to clean a janky bathroom or deal with somebody who's cranky because the baker's not there I feel like um, one of the most fortunate people I know, and I live in a community where there's some seriously good fortune going on. Yeah, it's but. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. The people I've been interviewing, they're not making a lot of money, no. but they are living a rich, fulfilled, peaceful life. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that about everybody in the Silicon Valley. Mm-mm. Nope. And I think that's the thing. I, I have often said that that I live I live richly. I do. I really enjoy my work. I, I've come to really love and mean it. A number of the people that I work with have a real different view shed on the whole spectrum that is the community that I live in. And, um, and it's strange, you know, like just to know that I have been part of creating this thing that like I know that like when I'm done with this or when I'm I want to be missed and that feels good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think everybody needs to know they've made a difference, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing, and I know that an awful lot of people just, like, struggle with that all the time, and and there is no question, and that is an awesome responsibility, but it's also this amazing, boying, just, like, boy, something better than 18-hour fabric, that's for sure, just, like, holds you right up, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and most people don't ever get that. Like, You're right. Um, to know in the marrow of their bones that they've made a definite difference in many people's lives, that's, yeah. that's unique. It is, it's, it's, uh, it, is a, uh, it is a blessing beyond it is. price. It's, it is. It's, gets me misty. Well, thank you very much. Really oh, you're this. welcome. This has been, I had no idea. I mean, my respect for you has grown by leaps and bounds. I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is so much more work instead of just, hey, y'all, why don't you gather together for a farmer's market? It, it, I'm astounded at how much work it takes. I'm it's really a lot, impressed. But it's totally worth it. And, I, and honestly, I would say that if anybody is thinking about doing anything like this, there's all kinds of resources um, that are out there now that didn't used to be. I'll get some um, the names and, of those and put yeah. them on the website so people can go yeah. download some of these forms. Yeah. Thank you very much, Oh, Aaron. you're welcome. You're welcome. 
Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you learned as much as I did, despite the sometimes howling dogs and stuff. There was so much more in this interview. I mean, Aaron knows so much about agriculture and what parts of the world chickens come from and why their eggs are sometimes blue or brown. There was just so much in this interview, but not many people have two hours to sit and listen to a podcast, so I had to whittle it down. But don't forget, if you want to learn more about the food you eat or going to a farmer's market with your produce or starting one in your community, go to www.thisoutsidelife.com slash farmer's market. And we'll see you next time. And please don't forget to leave a review in iTunes. It really, really makes a difference. And after you leave that review, don't forget to take some time to step outside and step into wonder. Wonder.